0: All right. well good morning everyone. I want to welcome you again to South Lansing Christian Church. Whether you're online joining us or you're here in person, we're all one church. And as a church, we've been journeying through Scripture. Together as God's people, we're reading about two chapters a day. We started back in Genesis in September, and we read Genesis and Exodus. At that point, we were in this sermon series called Ever-Present Help looking at God's faithfulness, how he shows up again and again for his people in Scripture, and how we can count on his faithfulness today in our own lives. Following that, we turn the page to Leviticus, and the first words of Leviticus are, and he called, because it's God calling to Moses from the tabernacle, and it's God moving in to live with his people, and as he does so, he has to tell them how to live so that they can be in his presence. And so the word for that is holiness, holiness. And so we had this series called Holy. And we talked about how to be holy is not to be mystical or hyper-spiritual or something else like that. To be holy is just to be set apart, to be distinct. And God expects his people to be distinct, to be set apart, to be holy. If there's no discernible difference between you and your non-Christian neighbors or friends or even family members, then something's wrong. God expects his people to be holy. Now following Leviticus, we are flipping the page into Numbers. And in your reading yesterday was when we made that, that switch. We watched a video and we read the first chapter of Numbers. Numbers, believe it or not, is actually a, a pretty enjoyable book. We just got to get through the first few chapters, about 10 chapters or so. So you guys can, can have stamina and you'll make it, you'll be there. Uh, if you need some encouragement every Monday through thursday we 're reading at twelve twelve on Facebook live and you can tune in and read with us and that way we 'll get through this together and then, and then we 'll get to numbers chapter ten and so Israel and, and Moses have been at Mount Sinai and they 've been there since leaving Egypt for about a year now, and we see all the law happening and the tabernacle being constructed and Leviticus given. And then finally, finally you get this in chapter 10 of the book of Numbers, verse 11. In the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. So the Israelites set out for the wilderness of, from the wilderness of Sinai and traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. So the Israelites are on the move. It seems like God is ready to bring them into the promised land and that they're ready to realize the promises that God has for them because God is. This is where they're headed to. They've followed him out of Egypt into the wilderness. They've been given his instructions. They've built this tent for God to meet with his people and to be present with them. And yeah, they've had a few issues along the way. There was that whole golden calf incident and some... You know, grumbling and complaining. But on the whole, things are really looking up for God's people, and they should only get better from here. But then, well, the book of Numbers has some mistakes being made. You know, there was a minor bit of rebellion, a little bit of slight idolatry, just a tad bit of sexual deviancy, some complaining. You know, just minor stuff. People aren't perfect. We make mistakes. Who could blame these people? Well, God did, and we see that happening in the book of Numbers. God seemed to take things very seriously, and as his people continued to wander into sin and away from him, well, then they faced serious repercussions. Mistakes were made, and somebody was on the hook for those mistakes. You know that phrase, mistakes are made. It's kind of become uh, common in our vernacular. People use it, especially online, in in maybe a sardonic kind of way where they say, oh, you know... um, she was flying down the highway, and then, well, mistakes were made, and now she's uh, her car is in the body shop. Or, well, he went into his final exam, and mistakes were made, and now he's all signed up for that class next semester. Or, uh, South Lansing Christian Church hosted a chili cook-off last night, and, well, mistakes were made, and one of the elder's wives showed up with corn chowder instead of chili. I don't know how that works out. The message must have not been received. Or, you know, maybe this one. Um, In 2022, Walter took the ashes out from his wood stove and uh, and they seemed cold to him, but mistakes were made and after the dumpster stopped being on fire, his wife called Granger and they delivered a new dumpster. Mistakes were made. Some of the mistakes that we make, and we all make mistakes, that's the reality. Some of the mistakes that we make as human beings are, are benign, they're humorous. They kind of are endearing, like a toddler taking their first steps who suddenly sits down without warning, or like Lori Brown showing up to the chili cook-off with corn chowder and then somehow winning the chili cook-off. You guys all seem real confused. Yeah, round of applause for her. Uh, we were able to, what it's really about is raising money for the blessing buckets. We raised over $900 last night. That money goes, yeah, money goes directly to... Meeting the needs in our congregation and of those that we know outside. So, it was a great great night last night, even despite the corn chowder incident. Now, other mistakes. Other mistakes that we make are are perhaps less humorous. They have very real consequences. Mistakes like, you know, their marriage was so solid and then mistakes were made. Or, he was an incredible leader, but then he found the bottle and mistakes were made. Or... She was top of her class, and then she met that guy, and mistakes were made. Some decisions we make in the moment have these long-lasting impacts in our lives, and some of the choices we make have reverberations that continue on into our lives and the lives of those around us. No matter how much we want to avoid culpability, no matter how much we want to sidestep and say, hey, mistakes were made, you know, who knows who made them, but mistakes were made, at some point it's time to pay the check, At some point when mistakes are made, there are consequences. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, and we're going to see how the Israelites found out this same fact in a a very very intense way. So Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. So the people of Israel have been brought to the edge of the promised land. They're in the wilderness south of it. And they select 12 scouts to send up to scope out the place. These guys are gone for 40 days. One representative was selected from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and, and they go off and they come back and they bring this report that we can read about in verse twenty seven and following of this chapter. Verse twenty seven, this this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live there, and the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So the report when these 12 scouts come back is this. God has brought us to an incredibly fertile and hospitable land. It's like a paradise. But there's no way we can take it because the people there are too powerful for us. And so what are we to do now? Now, not all of the scouts were this way. Joshua and Caleb were convinced that God was going to be faithful and would lead these people into the promised land. But you know how this goes. It seems like it's always easier as, as humans to, to hear and internalize the negative rather than the positive and to give in to the sensational rather than to trust God. And so as the ten negative scouts continued to give their bad report, they whipped the people up into a frenzy and this happened, verse 1 of chapter 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Do you hear what they're saying here? They were enslaved people in Egypt. Egypt with no agency, no freedom of their own, and they want to go back to that rather than to trust God and follow him into what's next. Man, every action has a reaction, every decision has a consequence, good or bad, and in this episode of God's story, the the decision of the spies to not trust God resulted in the people not trusting God, and that spiraled out of control. And This is fascinating to me because remember, again, the people have only been out of Egypt for a year, maybe just a little over a year. And in that time, they've seen God do the miraculous ten plagues and free them from the Egyptians and lead them through the Red Sea and provide food to them that they didn't make on their own and provide water from a rock. And then they saw the the signs of his presence at Mount Sinai and they were terrified. And then there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. All of this stuff, it wasn't... In ancient history, it was just in the last few months. They'd seen all of these signs and yet it wasn't enough. And I think a story like this is a good reminder for you and me. Because I don't know about you, but I often feel like it would be so much easier to trust God if he just did a sign right now. If he did a miracle here among us this morning, it would be so much easier to be faithful and trust him. Because I would have seen undeniable evidence of his power. But these Israelites, they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and it wasn't enough. Matthew 16, Jesus' words, he he says this about a people looking for a miracle. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation searches for a sign. The author of Hebrews, she says in chapter 11, Now faith is the confidence in things hoped for, the assurance of things as yet unseen. Back to the Israelites in the wilderness here. Things got so out of hand that Moses and Aaron were overwhelmed and the chaos continued to ramp up from there. Verse 12, verse 10 of this chapter. The whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. And then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague, and then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. Again, our mistakes have consequences. Regardless of who made the mistake or who we might want to blame, someone has to take responsibility for our actions. And man, the consequences in this situation for the Israelites were very severe. God was ready to disown them, destroy them, start all over with raising up a new people group and and while God was pretty much done with the Israelites at this point, Moses was not and so he intercedes for the people and he says this in verse 17, "'Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said, "'The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion.'" But he does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is afflicted, affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent, unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. And then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested, but as surely as I live... And as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who treated me with contempt will ever see it. And that was that. The Israelites had gone; they had gone too far this time. They they made one too many mistakes, and the consequences were very severe. They were going to have a very serious penalty to be faced. To be facing, and and while God absolutely, he he absolutely had mercy on them. Mercy is defined as not getting the punishment you deserve, and so the Israelites wouldn't be wiped out in the wilderness. In fact, they would continue to exist as a nation. And while God absolutely had grace on his people, grace being defined as getting something you don't deserve, God would continue to go with his people. That was a sign of his grace. God would bring his, his people's kids into the promised land. They didn't deserve this, but he was going to be true to his promises. While God absolutely had grace and mercy upon the Israelites, they still had to face the natural consequences for their actions. And so none of this adult generation who had rebelled against God in the wilderness would ever enter the promised land or even see it. They were doomed to wander the wilderness for the next four decades. And, you know, when I think about that, I wonder, if you were an Israelite, how would you have felt? You had refused to trust God for sure, but now you see this penalty. I wonder about the, the regret they would feel in the future. I wonder about the, the questions they had the next day for sure, but maybe months or years, decades into the future. If we had just trusted God enough to follow him, if we had trusted God to obey enough to, to go into the promised land, what would our like, lives have been like? How much better off would we have been if we would have just followed God? And that's the thing about making mistakes when you and I make mistakes, especially when they are mistakes in breaking God's law and stepping into sin, there's always regret. There are always these moments where we look back and we wish, man, if only things had been different. If only I had made a different choice. Mistakes were made and I regret them. Reading the, the Wikipedia article, Wikipedia is the source of all knowledge and information as we know. And it's got, it does actually have articles on almost anything you could ever want. And, and so there's an article on mistakes were made. And reading the, the history of this phrase, phrase is, is just a fascinating trip through U.S. history. Uh, it's, it's amazing how many of our politicians and leaders want to use this phrase as a way to say, uh, we're sorry that happened without actually admitting responsibility. Starting all the way back with Ulysses S. Grant and his really disastrous presidential administration, he wrote about it. He said, some mistakes were made. Okay, well, who made those mistakes, man? And then you move up through some of the other greatest hits. you got Richard Nixon, and you've got uh, President Clinton, and both of them wrote about their administrations and said, mistakes were made. When something happens and a leader wants to calm people down without actually admitting to any fault, mistakes were made seems like a good turn of phrase. But it's a total cop-out, really, because for mistakes to have been made, someone had to be around to make those mistakes, right? And when mistakes are made, there are always consequences. Always. You know, church people, even, even people of God, make mistakes. Sometimes the sins from our former lives pull us back. They call to us. Sometimes we step out of step with the spirit, and we step back towards the acts of our flesh. Perhaps you found yourself talking about someone, and you were highlighting their less desirable qualities or the decisions they'd made, or complaining about them in some way. The Bible calls that gossip. It's a sin that God hates. And when you gossip... You should go before Jesus and confess your sin and you'll find forgiveness there. But also, when you gossip, you absolutely need to go confess your sin to the target of your speech and then deal with the relational fallout there. There are consequences for our actions. Hey, perhaps you were somewhere on the internet. You shouldn't have been. You didn't mean to get there, but now you're there. You might as well take a look. And one thing leads to another. The Bible calls that lust lust. It's a sin that God hates. And while you can absolutely find forgiveness, you will find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. You still have to deal with the relational consequences and how you deal with others of God's people for a long, long time. Hey, maybe you found yourself focusing too much on money. You want to get more and more. You're callously ignoring the needs of those around you. You refuse to give to the church because it's my money. The Bible calls that greed. It's a sin that God hates. And when you give in to greed and let that control you, and God will forgive you. But you still have to work on the, dealing with the consequences of how that has affected your entire life, and those consequences will be on going. We could go on because there are, are a whole host of sins that, that call to our sinful nature, a whole host of mistakes that we are prone to make from envy to drunkenness to anger to idolatry to selfish ambition. Paul, the Apostle Paul is the master list maker, and you know he's got. The, the lists of, of fruits of the spirit and things that, that God grows in us. But he's also got all of these lists of, uh, of things in which our sinful nature falls into and leads us into. And if, if you spend some time reading in Galatians or one of his other letters, I'm sure you'll find a sin that you've dealt with there. The point is this. When mistakes are made, there are consequences. There are always consequences. No matter how much we try to avoid culpability, no matter how we talk about stuff and and sidestep the reality of what we've done, what we do matters. What you do matters. And it has very real effects on, on our own hearts, on our lives, and on the world around us. The Israelites, they found this out in a very real way. Upon hearing of their life sentence, they they went to bed that night, they slept on it, they heard God's sentence, and they woke up the next day and they had a, a very different idea of what was going to happen. Verse 40. Then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of the hills and said, Let's go! We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. But Moses said, Why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down And attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. Hey guys, mistakes were made last night, but nobody needs to really deal with it. We can do what God wants us to do now. Today, let's go. And then they met defeat. Because God did not go with them. And look, the Israelites were right to question their own ability in in this episode. Because they were not able to conquer the promised land all by themselves. It was not going to turn out well for them. The people in the promised land were, in fact, too strong for them to to overcome. And so it was not going to go well for them on their own, but God was going with them. And so while they were right to question their own abilities, they were so wrong to question God's abilities. Because when you look at what happens when the Israelites, 40 years later, enter into the promised land... It's not because they're such incredible military strategists or so overwhelmingly powerful. No, it's because the priests lead the people and they step into the Jordan River and the river piles up and uh, they walk through on dry ground. It's because the priests head out in front of the people and they Happen to walk around this city seven times and then the walls just so happen to fall down because God is working there and he brings the victory. It's because the people are fighting and they seem to maybe be overcoming, but they're running out of time and then God causes the sun to stand still and the day is longer and God brings the victory again. For us today, it's, it's just the same. I think so many of our mistakes happen because we're not patient, because we don't trust God. We don't believe that, his way is best, that what he has said is going to be true, that he's got the best for us in his heart. We don't trust, and so we get impatient. We want to take things for ourselves. We want to do things our own way, and then we make mistakes. We blunder into sin, and we face those regrets. Hey, today's sermon it might feel like a downer. Walter, you're telling us. We're all screwed up and we're doomed to face the consequences of our mistaken actions. Yeah, yeah, that's what today is about. But I also want you to know that there's hope. 1 Timothy 2 says this, There's one God, there's one mediator between God and human. Christ Jesus himself, human who gave his life a ransom for all. This was attested at just the right time. God made a way for you to be right with him, for you to avoid some of the consequences for your actions. The penalty for your sins, for breaking God's law, for making these mistakes, was too great for you to bear. It was eternal separation from God and his people. Yet God sent Jesus to be this mediator, to offer himself as a sacrifice for you and for me so that we could face God, we could be in his presence through the power of Jesus Christ. And so you can live a life that's different. Unfortunately, not free of mistakes this side of heaven, but free of the ongoing escalation of pain and, and violence and frustration that comes as a result of our sin in this life. And also free from the eternal consequences. Because God has forgiven you in Jesus And because God has forgiven you in Jesus, he offers a way for you to be right with him if you just accept his gift. And so this morning, if you're someone who's far from God, if you've never taken that step into new life, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and been obedient in baptism, there's no time like the present, there's no day like today. Maybe God's been working on your heart. Maybe you felt the Spirit calling you and prompting you. Maybe... Maybe there's some things I need to change. Maybe today could be that day. And so as we move into what's next, I'd encourage you, find one of the elders, find somebody around the back of the room with a blue lanyard and have that conversation with them about what it looks like for you to follow Jesus, for for you to accept his sacrifice for you, allowing Jesus to be that mediator in your place. And for the rest of us, what can we do this morning as people who follow Jesus, who've given our our lives to Him, and who yet still sometimes stumble and fall into mistakes? Well, in the words of Wally back here own your stuff. Own your stuff. If you've lied, cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, fought with, hated, or in some other way harmed your brother or sister, It's time to own your stuff. It's time to apologize, to ask for forgiveness, to seek restitution. You know, the world wants to avoid responsibility for their actions, but God's people take responsibility. The world says, mistakes were made. But God's people say, I made a mistake. How can I make it right? And now, people of God, would you join me in prayer? God, we come to you, and we are so thankful for your gift of life and hope, eternity in Jesus. Jesus, we're thankful for your sacrifice because we are flawed and fallen people, and our only hope is in you. God, I pray that as we go uh, about our, our lives, as we go be the church outside of these walls, that as we, as we do make mistakes, as we wander into situations that can bring regret that we would own our stuff that we would take responsibility for our part in the messes that we would confess our sins to one another and to you Jesus we look forward to your rescue in our lives we we look forward to to one day standing with you the presence of God living that way perfected for eternity. But between now and then, Father, help us to take encouragement from your word, from your people, from your spirit. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. At this point, we get a chance to respond. And the way that we do that here at South, we respond to God in worship, considering considering what we've heard from God's word and choosing to, to glorify God because of his work in our lives. And so we'll do that as we, as we sing a couple songs. We'll also worship as we give back, being generous, because God has been incredibly generous with us. He's offered us his grace and his mercy. We also get to do that as we gather at the tables and share the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, as you gather with the church at the table, table be reminded that Jesus is truly your mediator that he's given himself in your place, that now you can approach God through him. And so that bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for you, for me, and that juice represents his blood that was shed so that we can be right with God. And so as we sing, won't you come and join us at the tables? Now will you join us and stand in worship?